You're listening to Ideas on Europe, a podcast by UACES, the Membership Association for Contemporary European Studies. Welcome to this podcast on critical European studies. We have gathered here at the UACES Graduate Forum in Leuven, a panel of early career researchers specializing in a range of issues in European integration, European public policy. We're all sharing an interest in the utility of critical approaches and critical theory. Uh, first, we have uh, Vladimir Botun with us today. Vlad is a final year PhD candidate at the University of Portsmouth, so welcome. Thank you. I'm doing a PhD at uh, Portsmouth uh, on the transnational cooperation of three new left parties from Southern Europe, Syriza from Greece, uh, left bloc from Portugal and Podemos from Spain, since the start of uh, the Eurozone crisis. Thank you. We also have Vanessa Pilanchetti with us today. Vanessa has uh, just finished her PhD at the University of Rome. So welcome to you as well. Thank you. My PhD is on a critical readings of the new economic governance with a special focus on the fiscal compact. I've, I've tried to build a critical theoretical framework intertwining um, critical approach between uh, Gramsci and Foucault. And next to Vanessa, we have uh, Rachel Dixon from Queen's University Belfast. Mm-hmm. Hello. So yes, I'm Rachel. I've just graduated from Queen's University Belfast and I should probably shout out that I'm working at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow um, now. Um, and my research uses critical understandings of law, particularly human rights law, to examine the governance of migration and mobility both into and around the EU. Yeah, so last year I presented um, a paper at this conference in Newcastle about why I felt using a critical framework added value to research on migration management and I then posted a blog post on the Crossroads Europe blog of my paper and Vanessa then responded to me and we had a discussion about how we could use Foucault and how maybe we should take go even further that there's more to critical studies than just Foucault um, and then Vlad responded to her and we've now got all together around the one table and um, we're all talking about critical EU studies. And uh, last but not least we have Charlotte Kosciewski. Uh, welcome yeah. to you as well. Hi, thank you. Um, so yes, I'm a second year PhD candidate at the University of Sheffield and uh, my background is actually in nutrition and global health and my research now is uh, it's on the EU governance in the area of nutrition and health promotion. So the paper I'm presenting here argues for the need to explore more critical approaches in the study of political determinants of health, including in, uh, in the EU health studies. Thank you. My own name is uh, Rasmus Hovitskov Hansen. I'm a PhD student also at University of Sheffield. I'm writing a PhD on labor market governance in the Eurozone and uh, transformations evolution in that governance over the last decade. So before, I w- before we expose our panelists to the first questions of today's podcast, I will try quickly provide some very generic reflections on what critical theory in relation to European studies may mean. And I guess we can go back and say that one major tradition in critical theory and critical perspectives is uh, Marxism and neo-Marxism. And, and we have Karl Marx himself famously writing in Thesis on Feuerbach, quote, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it, unquote. In this tradition, we find perhaps a simplistic distinction between the type of theory that seeks to develop ever more precise studies of society through means such as hypothesis testing or developing mathematical models. Um, And on the other hand, we find this idea that there are some theories that are more explicitly engaged in social and political struggle, with the ultimate objective of those struggles being human emancipation and general 
social transformation and so on. And this is also famously put in Max Horkheimer's distinction between traditional theory and critical theory. However, it's also important to say and that this uh, Marxist tradition with its strong emphasis on sort of a class-based approach to politics and social life is by no means the only philosophical stream to claim the critical label. And we at least have very other very famous streams which include the range of perspectives coming from uh, French philosophy, particularly in the 20th century. In the context of European studies, this is perhaps most famous through the studies inspired by Foucault and, uh, and the Foucauldian concept of uh, governmentality, which we'll, I think we will return to as well. And I, what I want to do with this very sketched survey of, of critical theory is just to remind, of course, uh, ourselves and our listeners that it's not necessarily self-evident what critical European studies mean or what critical theory in general mean. And it's also an open question whether these different takes on what critical studies are can actually strengthen or contradict each other. But with this in mind, as a brief starter, I will now ask each of you panelists to provide a brief answer to the following question. What does a critical perspective in European studies amount to for you and how does it connect to your research? I will start with Charlotte. Okay, uh, thank you, Rasmus. And uh, yes, indeed, I think it's not self-evident and I would say it's uh, usefully contestable. And rather than attempt uh, a definition, I'd just like to reflect on a couple of um, parameters, if you want, uh, along which I think it's, uh, it's useful to consider this, this debate. Uh, so for me, critical is firstly can be thought of in reference to ontology and epistemology. So I'd say one dimension to consider is the position within, you know, broadly speaking, the positivist, post-positivist scale. And in that way, as you mentioned, Rasmus, it, it's, it's true that it can be considered very broadly. And uh, for example, in my research, I draw on a conceptualization of power as present in language to make sense of uh, EU health governance. And so the EU is not thought of as a, as a defined object uh, existing out there independently, um, but its very nature and existence is constructed by our, our collective understanding of what it is. And the social construction of the EU uh, relies upon a, a system of meanings uh, that provide a possible frame for what is thinkable, what is doable. And um, inevitably, the researcher also, from, from that perspective, cannot be thought of as a, as, neutral, as a neutral observer and an outsider, but actually as, a, as an active participator, um, contributor to the knowledge production. And the second parameter I just briefly want to mention uh, here is also critical in reference to study area. And I think that diversifying the areas of studies is also a way to foster dissenting voices within EU studies by challenging the orthodox understanding of what the EU is and what the EU does. Uh, and that's why I think that it's useful to further develop the literature on, uh, on EU health, because it contests uh, the reduction of the EU to an economic actor. Uh, it also answers the call for more uh, research on political determinants of health. And finally, uh, finally, I would say also that health is a very useful anchor and, uh, and a repoliticizing lens to uh, reflect on the normative questions around EU integration uh, and the tension between social and economic logics of, uh, of EU integration. Thanks. Uh, so very, very fascinating points, both on critical studies in general, critical studies in uh, European studies, and critical uh, approaches to health governance specifically. So I hope we can return to each of these issues later. I would like to hear Vlad's take on what critical studies mean for him. I totally agree with you, Rasmus, that uh, it involves a plurality of perspectives, some of which might not be compatible with each other, but um, they share something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be part of critical uh, European studies. And I think they share what you've pointed uh, to already, 
which is this um, suspicion, if you want, towards the claims to epistemological and axiological neutrality that mainstream uh, European studies uh, have. Uh, basically, critical European studies would uh, challenge that and would say that every discourse about European Union promotes certain interests and uh, obscures, if you want, uh, certain dynamics of power and relations of power that uh, are at the core of the European integration process. From my Marxist perspective, uh, that would entail to challenge the class interests to identify from the class interests and the class forces that uh, have been at the core of European integration process since 1957 uh, onwards. So, to be more concrete, rather than accept the dominant narrative about the European Union at the time European uh, Economic Community, that it's, uh, it was this noble project of enlightened uh, political leaders, all men, of course, uh, who just wanted a Europe of peace and prosperity for all peoples of Europe to live in freedom and equality and brotherhood. And of course, all hegemonic projects in history had a legit legitimacy narrative like that. In reality, I, from a Marxist perspective, it would mean to see the European Union, the emergence of the European community in the context of the post-Second World War, in the context of the rise of, of the welfare state, uh, which uh, man, amounted to certain losses so in, in profits for uh, Western European uh, capitalist classes, which arguably created a need for a common market for them to sell their products and services. At the same time, the decolonization process, which deprived these capitalist classes from markets, cheap raw material and so on. Let's not forget that five out of the six founding member states were former colonial powers and so forth. And to, to bring it to... I think we're going to have to come back to you yes, later with, uh, with a more contemporary analysis. We'll go straight on to Vanessa. Right, so um, I'll take first a step on when we are having this conversation. So at the moment, uh, in this post-colonial era, people are drawing themselves uh, from Africa to in the Mediterranean Sea because we are blocking uh, frontiers and borders. Italy has the most right-wing uh, government since World War II, and extreme right-wing parties and movements are spreading everywhere uh, in Europe and beyond. So all this is happening when the majority of European scholars are actually talking about the ending of the financial crisis and somehow even its brilliant solution. And so I think critical scholars in front of this situation should ask themselves and to others, how did we arrive here? So what does it mean critical in this sense, critical scholars? First, so first a general understanding of critical. In this sense, I mean that we are not only referring to the Frankfurt School heritage, as you said, but to a broader uh, meaning of critical, that it means to self-reflecting on the field of research that we are having. Second point, I think, to understand what critical means, the definition of Robert Cox, that I think everyone knows, can help us uh, to, to elucidate the term, the term critical. Critical in this sense is a theories that are not only uh, trying to solve specific problems, but they call into questions institutions, power relations and social uh, forces. Uh, and they are concerned with the transformation process as a whole, not only uh, single issues. I think this is uh, quite interesting because in front of disintegration and or transformation of a system, as a whole, we need critical theory because they are able to ask how orders have come about and how they might change. 
then this is what we need nowadays, probably. And uh, quickly, third, international relations went already after the uh, ending of the Cold War. They went through a process of pluralization. And I think in front of the European crisis, European studies should go through a, a similar process of pluralization. Instead, it's happening uh, um, the contrary. So we are coming back to a discussion between neo-functionalism and intergovernmentalism and the central role of the state. Here, I'm not saying that we should not talk about the central role of the state, but this is, should be the starting point of our conversation instead of the ending point of our uh, theory. Thank you very much. And, and last but not least, again, here we have Rachel. Personally, for me, taking a critical approach to European studies or to researching or inquiring into the into the EU um, allows what is produced at the end, the research product, to be emancipated from circular debates and discussion that tend to focus on an accepted version of truth, so whether it's a type of power that the EU possesses or uses. And instead of getting caught up on is it intergovernmental, is it supranational, what category does it fit into, you're thinking more of, well, you're exploring possibilities and understandings that depend on context, that actors involved, on history, on how policies are articulated, but also how they operate in practice and the disconnect that often operates there. As we mentioned, you know, yes, we have all these values that were put forward and are still put forward, but actually, how are we, how are those values being upheld in practice, and do they give us the kind of Europe or kind of government or whatever it is, society that we want to live in. I think critical approaches help us unpick that. So essentially then it um, invites a conversation between and researchers as different people might see different things. Um, so it's different tools that we can all use to gain different understandings and hopefully develop a deeper, richer lit literature on the European Union that can influence um, society as a whole. So Building on ideas that you know that we're pointing out here from everyone else, that it allows us as well to pick up on neglected areas of governance. So Charlotte mentioned health for one, um, and looking as well, you know, the ideas of coming out of economic crisis as well. That you know, well, that's just been heralded a victory, but actually there are neglected areas in that research, I'm sure. So that doesn't just mean looking at areas of you know study that haven't been previously considered i think anyone that started out a phd thinks that's what you have to do where you know you have to try and find that golden nugget of the you know thing that hasn't been done before and i think critical research actually gets you away from that and um, it, it shifts the focus towards understanding how governance operates not necessarily what the governance is so who is your governance targeted towards how does it seek to alter people's behaviours or actions? What motivations are behind that or um, operating it? So for me, in relation to migration in particular, which is my area, that involves examining um, which flows are being supported and legalised by the EU, which are being stemmed and prevented, what criteria is being used to determine that, whose conduct is being acted upon by the mechanisms of migration management and for what end. So that's kind of where I come at it from. Great, great stuff. We can quickly establish here the fact that we all share this common idea of a need for uh, critical European studies and we also have this shared sense that there is in some ways a perhaps passive but anyway a marginalization of critical approaches within European studies. So this is much, this is very much the motivation for us to do this podcast. Uh, we have very different ideas about exactly what kind of critical research we undertake but we also have an idea that we can learn from each other uh, and build on our Richard in that sense. So, following up on from Rachel's last points, I want to, to ask you back, Rachel, what is it European studies can learn from critical perspectives? Why does the field of European studies need critical perspectives? 
Um, well, my research area in particular is quite large, so migration management is a huge area, and migration studies occur at the global level, at the domestic level, and receive quite a lot of attention from scholars, critical and non. But much of the interest of the EU scholars hasn't really been focused on critical discussion. So for me, that gives my work an edge because it's bringing together the relevance of those different areas and saying something different about them. I think if we don't consider critical study theories and methodologies, then it could lead to European studies falling behind in broader debates that are happening in other areas. So in terms of us maintaining relevance, we need to start engaging with these things that are happening in other. All of us here probably could fit into a different area if we wanted to, um, you know, domestic policy, politics or, you know, health promotion at a global stage. But all of us, for some reason, have a European focus and an and, uh, interest in EU as a thing so uh, you know, in terms of keeping that relevant particularly whenever other people are telling us that it is less relevant and I think that's something those of us with an interest in the EU have had to really focus on lately with like, in, ter- in terms of the UK as well you know just because Brexit doesn't mean that Europe is no longer is going to become irrelevant so it keeps us relevant and um, keeps us engaged with what's going on again producing stuff that has value and isn't just being churned out also For me, EU engagement and migration management involves contestation between international law, domestic law, supranational values that don't exist in the same anywhere else. So, for example, one of the key features of my research is um, looking at solidarity um, as a legal principle and a legal value. So that is really only... Um, it exists in a, in a unique format at the EU level, so that's something why I think you know European studies could benefit from critical understandings of what does that value mean, instead of just relying on what the EU says it means. Actually, what does it mean, and how can we interpret that differently, and how can we critique that? So is it fair yeah. to say that you think that EU studies or European studies needed because they need to maintain relevance in relation to other uh, academic disciplines, and they needed? Because there is a world out there that requires that there are certain events taking place in the world that EU studies have difficulty in adapting to. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to chip in to on their opinion. Can also have Shala coming yeah. in here. For, yeah. Okay. So to 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 build on that a little bit, I think that uh, one advantage, one really important role of the of the dissenting voices, whichever critical school of thought they come from, is that. Uh, they can really reignite the normative debates um, that I think are really needed right now. Vanessa, as you were saying, you know, the, the current situation, be it the, the migration or the rise of the far, uh, the far right populism and so on. So I think that um, critical studies, also building what you were saying, Vlad, by highlighting um, that actually whatever is taken for granted, whatever is seen as the norm, has uh, a normative position that underlies it. Uh, and unpicking that and exposing that allows for this debate around norms to again happen instead of being repressed. And that, I think, critical studies are, are relevant in the scholarship, but there's also a lot of potential for engagement with civil society when engaging with these sorts of debates. Because I think that repressing value-driven debate and technocratizing deeply political issues is just not useful. And in fact, and I'd like to hear a little bit what, what you think about it, but uh, one could even perhaps link strong depolitization uh, with the rise of right-wing populism because it, it creates a vacuum that allows these discourses to resonate when you repress the political nature of issues. So in turn, what you are arguing is that there is this need for a normative, Re- yeah. for a repolitization exactly. of European 
governance and European studies through this normative engagement with yeah. what the EU is, what it should be, and how it, how how is it doing in terms of the, in terms of those criteria? Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, questioning, like Vlad, you were saying, the the taken for granted assumptions is uh, is something that critical studies are, are there for, and it's very important right now in this time of crisis. Yeah. Just just to develop on that, I think uh, in general uh, it's not intellectually productive to uncritically endorse anything. And I feel that our field uh, has had, uh, since its inception, an underlying uh, consensus for the fundamental desirability of European integration. And the debate is about how much we should have, uh, how much European integration, on which aspects, what can we uh, do about uh, improving it, and so on. The famous book by Simon Hicks, What is wrong with the EU and how to fix it? Why, why fix it in the first place? Nobody's asking this question. It's though it is worth fixing it uh, inherently. Uh, it's taken for granted, as you said, uh, Charlotte. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be fixed. In me personally, I, I don't think it can be fixed. But I think it's important to discuss whether it is worth fixing or not. And this debate, whether you agree uh, with a side or another, whether you think it can be fixed or not, this debate should be, should be uh, happening especially as we are going through multiple crises in European Union, social, economic, uh, humanitarian, um, and so forth. Just to, to finish on this point, uh, I think that too much of the debate about this crisis has been about, as I said earlier, what has gone wrong with European integration, the neoliberal turn in the 80s with the establishment of the Single European Act and so on. But I would argue that the, the reasons for this uh, crisis of the European Union lie with the very uh, structural uh, architecture of the European Union that go back to its uh, very foundation. It seems that the majority of European studies like, have a t took for granted the spillover effects of integration. So integration will lead to more integration that will lead to more integration. And, uh, and this is what uh, actually critical studies in, in different, uh, with different perspective are actually trying to uh, expose. But I have to say, so uh, w what is needed is as well a m more interdisciplinary and uh, transdisciplinary interconnections in European studies, but as well in the dissenting voices of European studies. So connecting between different areas of studies uh, and uh, critical thinking. So, for example, in my research, I have tried to connect the heterodox Marxism of Gramsci with the post-structuralism of Foucault, because we need to foster a, a debate as well between the critical voices. So, we are gathered here at the U.S. Scratching Forum to discuss the need and the utility of critical European studies. And we have we've each talked about how Uh, critical perspectives inform our own research, why the field of European studies need critical perspectives. And we're now trying to move on to the, to the, to the third debate we're going to have today, see if we can talk more constructively about what we could do to promote critical perspectives. I would uh, like here to start with uh, Vanessa. I think we even should ask to ourselves, why should we promote European uh, critical European studies? So, and I remember here I'm gonna uh, bring up a story. It's like the first time I have presented my research in front of uh, PhDs and European scholars. So their question was, well, but where is your uh, dependent and independent variables? And I really was like, I didn't know what to answer. 
And then later I have read this uh, article uh, of uh, Anna Tickner where she described perfectly this feeling. And the article is called You Just Don't Understand. Troubled engagement between feminist and IR theorist. And where she perfectly explained how do you feel in front of uh, an audience that really does not understand your, uh, your critical approach. So to avoid this feeling, we, uh, in this conference, I have proposed a panel on critical European studies because I think uh, I wanted to have a panel where I was able to, to not be misunderstood in the first instance. So we need to create net network and space of discussion between critical scholars in the university, but as well outside of university. And if this is a bit, has been done in political economy and IR or other social science, it didn't happen so much in European studies. But the, the fact that we are recording this uh, podcast uh, and we are doing a panel and uh, the blogs we have written, it, it's telling us that there is space and as well a need for this space of discussion. Vlad? I, I totally uh, agree with Vanessa. This is uh, an important step forward. And uh, there are already other initiatives in this direction we, uh, with which we, we should try and connect maybe. Uh, for example, there is a book series published by uh, Routledge called uh, Critical European Studies, uh, which published some interesting uh, titles so far. Also, the, there is a network uh, of critical political economy research, which organizes uh, annual uh, Critical European Studies workshops. They've just uh, organized their fifth annual workshop. But also, I agree with uh, what, uh, what Charlotte uh, said uh, uh, earlier, that uh, we should try to bring our ideas and perspectives to the general public and not limit ourselves to the confinement of uh, academia. Otherwise, it wouldn't be worthy of its name, Critical European Studies, precisely because, as you said, uh, Rasmus, uh, it has an em emancipatory mm -hmm. ideal. So how can we pursue such uh, emancipatory ideals uh, without connecting with the, with the wider audience? Yeah, I think it's very important, like you say, not to develop into a, a, a bubble uh, and to really embrace uh, an agonism, like a, a pluralistic agonism, where even if different positions are not reconcilable, it is, they are useful, their diversity is useful in and of itself. Um, and I think keeping this agonistic debate is, is important to, to keep this vigilance and the reflexivity that you mentioned as well, Vanessa, before, um, that is crucial for, for healthy academic scholarship. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, it is about inviting other people to become part of the conversation. I think sometimes, I mean, this is, we've maybe been a bit critical of EU studies in this discussion. We're talking about how critical approaches will make it better. But um, critical approaches have their negative connotations as well. And sometimes you get one of the, to throw in a story in response to Vanessa's, um, I had a negative experience at a critical conference when they were like, you're not theory enough. And you're like, oh, come on, who can you please? Um, and I think, I guess the idea is nobody at the end of the day, but yourself. So for me, and that's why I really enjoy being part of, you know, trying to advocate for critical use studies from within um, and thinking, okay, well, you don't have to be like, oh, you do Foucault, however you have to go, you're part of that group. You know, it is about bringing people together and opening up the conversation and just, you know, it, it, in that vein of reflexivity of what you want to have your ideas challenged, but in a way that, make, you know, that doesn't put you off having ideas um, at the end of the day. So I think like that's something really important in terms of building that reflexivity um, so that, it is an open and it is a you know a challenging but a friendly challenging environment to be a critical scholar not someone that's you know your mm. people are excluded from the conversation because mm. it's exclusionary politics we're trying to 
draw attention to and get away from. You know, research needs to practice that. I don't know if we want to have, if anyone felt that there was, I was cutting him off at some point, maybe there's also a chance to bring in some last perspectives. Well, one of the things, we, we none of us at the table sh- um, have the same approach. I mean, we kind of both touch on Foucault, but we don't use exactly the same bit. So would it be useful if each of us took like one of the things that we've, that has added to our research? One of the things that I've used um, is, that, is that idea of reflexivity. So about the focus being on not just those who are governing, but on those who are supposed to be governed. So the, the subject of government, I find real, a really useful concept. So, um, and I think that's one thing that in terms of EU research, it's difficult because the whole legitimacy debate regarding participation and you know affiliation towards EU from the citizen plays into research. So, but that doesn't matter necessarily because the EU envisages a subject, whether they're compliant, engaged or not, it, the policies are, are made to govern someone. Um, so trying to unpick what that means and how the EU envisages those it, you know, who are subjected to it is of interest to me. So that's something that I have looked at, um, and particularly in migration, how the, how the EU tries to reconceptualise what a migrant is using its own political lens. So here, uh, I think the majority of the... Uh, Foucauldian engaged with question of how yeah. do we govern instead of who uh, yeah. and the majority of Marxists engage with reasons so why and in reality I think we should engage with the, uh, both questions and how we can interconnect mm-hmm. and uh, the, both questions so how we are governed but at the same time why we are governing in this in this direction and not in another direction. So in this sense, um, so my research has tried to look in this way both at the culture, at the discourse, but at the same time at the economics and the social forces that are fostering integration or not, for example. I think those are both very good points on also on the more conceptual ways to think about mm-hmm. critical European studies. If we could round up with a more practical sense, I will ask if each of you would recommend one reading, one anything that you would recommend. If yeah. someone out there by listening to the podcast had gained an interest in critical European studies, yeah. what is the first book, what is the first article you should read? Okay. The way I got into the critical studies was actually with the, with the book from Carol Bacci, called uh, What's the Problem Represented to Be? And so that gives a very good introduction, I think, to uh, one way of critical thinking of critical studies because it analyzes policy, but instead of analyzing it in terms of outcome, it analyzes how, the, how it's framed based on what assumption, based, based on what ideology, underlying ideology, is, uh, the problems are made sense of. And so that's a way, if you want to go into sort of, um, you know, post-structuralist Foucauldian studies, that's a very good uh, book that I would recommend. I'm going to recommend a reading on methodology. It's by Bal Bully, who's at Sussex. It's called Alternative Methodologies, Learning Critique as a Skill. And I think if you're starting out as a researcher, knowing why you're, how to inquire about things from a critical mentality is really important. And I think that's a really good article to get people started. So that's my advice. I would recommend a book uh, that appeared last year in the uh, series at Routledge that I mentioned earlier, Critical mm-hmm. European Studies. It's called uh, Discourses and Counter-Discourses on Europe, from the Enlightenment to the EU, and it's edited by Manuela Cereta and Barbara Curley. And I think most of the ideas that we've uh, discussed today are touched upon in one way or another in in this book. Well, I will recommend um, the entire (laughs) 
special issues of the Journal of Common Market Studies, where you can get the entire ideas of what critical European studies are. Uh, where uh, Jan Manners and uh, Richard Whitman have written the introduction, Another Theory is Possible, Dissident Voices in Theorizing Europe. Where the idea is, if we uh, theorizing Europe in a different way, we can imagine and teaching Europe in a different way. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. That's already some good uh, reading advice for me and hopefully for other listeners. We will put the links to these readings on the yeah. uh, Oasis webpage. So do check it out there. Thank you everyone for coming and thank you for listening. Thank you. For more UACES podcasts, visit uaces.org forward slash podcast and don't forget to subscribe for new episodes.